You're listening to Sex in Iceland with me, your host, Sigurdur, an Icelandic sexologist. Freezing, freezing. It is minus 15. It's official. It's freezing here in Iceland. Driving on the south coast of Iceland. I am coming back from, or I'm driving home, coming back from Kvolsvöllur, which has the... Okay, why are you blinking your lights? Oh, okay, you're about to turn or something. Um, which has... Not, not the only one, but one of the volcanic uh, museums of Iceland where you can experience a semi-earthquake and listen, listen to these interesting stories of people's experience of the, uh, the Eyjafjallajökull eruption. They even made a song about it. Eyjafjallajökull, it isn't hard to say. Eyjafjallajökull eruption, which affected... I don't know how many hundreds or even thousands of flights that had to be cancelled and delayed because of volcanic ash that spewed high up into the mountains. Or not into the mountains, into the clouds, of course. And affected um, weather conditions and flight conditions. So now I'm driving home. Had a good day today. I had sex ed, I was delivering sex ed for kids, 14 and 15 year old, and teachers and parents. And it was a typical day at the office, you might say. Uh, The teens had no really, there were no like uh, abnormal questions or not that questions are abnormal, that's not what I meant to say. But sometimes you get a question that you've like never heard before and you're like, oh, that makes me think. Like when this one kid, which didn't happen today, but happened in another place. Um, which this one kid said, so wait, what are you talking about ovulation? And I was like, yeah, dude, ovulation, it's a thing. Like after you have your period, you ovulate if you have a vulva and, uh, and a vagina and a uterus and the whole shebang. And he was like, what? Are you telling me that women actually lay eggs? Are they like hens? And it was hilarious. Like the whole entire class just burst out laughing and they could not stop laughing. And he was picturing it. And he's like, how big is the egg? What do you guys do with the egg? Like what happens to the egg? Are those your babies? Did you save them? And it was so, so, so funny. I think he was a bit disappointed when I described the egg as a piece of snot. So you don't really see it. Or, you know, you can see it, especially if you have a trained eye or if you're... If you're watching your um, your cycle and you know when you ovulate and you're like looking for the eggs or, egg or something, but it, seriously, it is like a piece of snot. Like I'm not trying to diss the egg or anything, but it, I mean, it kind of is similar to it, quite stretchy and stuff. So he was like, "Okay, I've never heard about this," and I'm like, "Yeah, you can have, you know, PMS, and you can ha- you can have pain during your menstruation, but you can also have pain during ovulation." He's like, "Oh my God, are you ladies always in pain?" And I was like, "Well, no, it, it differs between ladies, but um, or vulva havers, or um, not even just vulva havers. I mean, if if you are." Like, what, what, what could you use? What word could you seriously use? Because not all vulva havers bleed and not all, all vulva havers have a uterus and not all vulva havers are girls, female or ladies. Hmm. 
this is a bit complicated. I usually just say pika, which is the Icelandic word for, for the whole shebang, for everything. So for the vagina, for the vulva, for the uterus. It's basically, if you're saying pika, you're, you're, you're talking about the whole thing. But you can also be talking about the vulva or you can talk specifically. Like if you're talking about the vulva, you would say pika. But if you were talking about um, the vagina, you would say laugunk. Okay, for, to clarify. But you can still use pika for all of it. So, yeah, driving back, it's rather icy on the road, and I had a very interesting conversation with some of the parents, because we were talking about setting boundaries, and that's what we talk about in the parent lectures. We talk about setting boundaries and explaining to your children that if and your teens that if you are going to be talking about sex with them, that you're not going to be talking about your own experience of sex, and you're not going to be asking them direct questions about their experience of sex or how they like sex or what kind of sex they like but you can still talk about sex and give information without being specific or highly personal on a side note though I do encourage parents to talk to their children about their um, about them as teenagers so I call it going stepping into the time machine and I said to I say to parents I'm like okay so give your your teenager an insight into what you were like as a child and maybe even what dating was like when you were a teenager and what your first kiss was like and your first crush and maybe even your first um, breakup or something like that um, but I do not encourage them to talk about their first sexual encounter uh, and not to talk about if they have had intercourse the first time that they had intercourse. And the reason I do not encourage them to talk about this is because children often focus on age. And age is a number. We know that a lot of things are relative as well as age is. So if, you know, when you name, an, when you say a certain number, um, children and teens, all they hear is that number. So instead of you saying what went into the decision, they sometimes have a hard time looking past the number so you might be too old or too young and and besides you know saying you were 14 15 16 or 17 it doesn't help them in their decision making on whether they're ready you know they just have the number in their mind and it doesn't help them at all so i usually tell parents you know rather than saying how old you were talk to them about the situation or if you regretted it or if you wished you would have waited because of like give them your reason or train of thought okay and we know that kids today they're less likely to drink and they're less likely to smoke although vaping is an issue you know it cannot be overlooked but we just don't know enough about it I guess to make these correlative or um, yeah, it's just it's too new but anyway, so this is what I always say parents, and some parents are like, okay, I can talk to my kid about sex and, and, and it's really easy for me and, I, and we've always talked very openly and freely in my, in my household. And it's so interesting what, what people, they often use the word, uh, we're not prudes or I'm not a prude. And a prude reminds me of prunes and I really, really hate prunes. Like it's the only type that I was seriously spanked as a kid, like almost got my ass beaten off, was when I, I refused to eat a prune porridge. Yes, it is as disgusting as it sounds. It's basically stewed prunes. And it was freaking disgusting with some mashed up rice. Ew. 
Uh, but it is a thing here in Iceland that people, you know, you can't buy it. You can't buy like stew porridge and people do eat it. But I think it's disgusting. Or prune stew. Ew. So prude and prune always like prunes always come to mind when people say prude. Okay, I'm driving in the right direction. That's good. I tend to get very confused. Like when I lived in LA, I got so, so, so confused. And I remember just driving around and all of a sudden being like, oh, there's that big stadium thingy. Oh, I always wanted to check that out. Then being like, wait, where am I? Why am I at the stadium thingy? I'm going to Six Flags, Magic Mountain. So that's how lost I got. Anyway, so so I lived in Santa Clarita Valley, which is stretching it to call that LA, but you know, um, it's just, people don't know where Santa Clarita Valley is, so it just made sense. So anyway, uh, what was I saying? I was saying something about yeah, 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 prudes. So I don't, I don't, I don't like the word. Oh my God, the bus is driving so close. I was looking to have my side mirrors. It was ran into me. Huge buses always on the road. Anyway, so prude. I don't like the word. I don't like saying just because somebody doesn't want to talk about sex that they are in some, you know, it is derogatory. It's not like being a prude is never a compliment. It is, it is derogatory. It is saying that you can't do this and you should be able to do it. So, I mean, you just have to be mindful that people are different and they may choose different words or different ways of saying their meaning, you know, but it doesn't mean that it's any less than. So anyways, I had this parent who was, um, I was like, okay, I, I, we always had an open discussion in my household, and you know, I'll even tell my kids, I'll be like, okay, me and your dad are gonna go into the bedroom now, and we're gonna go fuck, and they're like, mom, too much information. And I'm like, we just talk about everything here, and I'm like, whoa, 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 that is crossing the line big time. That is not what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about you know, having an open discussion with your kids. I'm talking about correct names for um, genitals, like vulva, and talking about, yeah, me and my partner may get intimate, but that's our private life, and it does not, you know, it's, it's, it's of no information to you because it's just about us, and it's not about you, and it's not informative for you on how you should live your life. So, you know, you might say, you might cuddle your partner, but announcing that you're about to have sex and and not be like okay we're just gonna go in the bedroom now to have some cozy time or to snuggle or whatever it's it's very crude and it's painting a mental picture that especially your children do not need to have and don't want to have so to me and I mean I th- I don't think people would ever consider me a prude but that just it didn't sit with, well with me at all because there are so many different ways that you can say things and when it comes to talking about sex and sex ed how you word is so 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 important it's all in the wording you have to be particular and you have to be careful say if you say to your teen for an example for example if you're saying to your teen okay so do you have a girlfriend yet and this might maybe a guy you're saying to that child okay I, I do not acknowledge that you may be gay I'm saying you are straight I'm asking I, I'm, I'm expecting that you're in a relationship you know it's all it's all in those words it's all implicit and implied in those words so instead of saying you know um, are you interested in anybody have, do you have you thought about it what are what are kids in your class? Are they in relationships? Try to keep your language as neutral and as open as possible. But I also tell parents, 
and I say this in all my lectures, I say, okay, so I have this, <laughs> I have this great slide of, um, usually my slides are my own pictures, but um, for this particular one, I haven't actually had like a graphic designer do this, but I, I might, you know, let's see. I found this on the line. On, on the line, what am I, 100? Online. Um, it's a picture of, of Prince Charming kissing Eric from Little Mermaid. Or, yeah, I think it's Prince Charming. Or it's it's the prince from Cinderella kissing Eric from um, Little Mermaid. And they're both dressed nicely, and it's like they're kissing, and it's like this romantic, cutesy photo, like you would see of a prince and princess. And I always ask the kids, I'm like, hey, why hasn't this movie been made? And they're always like, I don't know. Why, why hasn't it been made? And I'm like, would you guys go see it? They're like, yeah, it's a, it's a Disney movie. It's a fairy tale. Of course we would go see it. And then they have this rationale or this explanation. They're like, but Hollywood doesn't allow gay things for kids. And you're like, what? What is a gay thing for kids? They won't allow two men to fall in love, you know? Now we've heard that Elsa from um, Frozen is a lesbian. At least that's word on the street. And Frozen out, Frozen 2 is out now, I think, 2019. Um, so it's quite interesting. Like, why haven't they made a story about two men falling in love? About a prince saving another prince or saving himself and thereby finding love or whatever. It's so, so interesting to me. It's so fascinating. And also what is fascinating is that then our whole um, narrative of fantasy and stories and adventure and the, you know, so on and so forth is it's narrated from this straight point of view and that that's the only way to be or that's the best way to be or that's the fabulous way to be or the fantasy way or whatever it is so we obviously need to have more variations we obviously need to have straight and gay characters and we need to like fantasy needs to reflect reality a little bit more a little bit more i'm not saying stripping it away i'm like i love my fairies and ponytails and unicorns and glitter and the whole that whole thing and magic and everything but i mean if you think about it, would it have killed J.K. Rowling, who I love, by the way, would it have killed her to have um, Hermione fall in love with Ginny or vice versa? Like now I'm not totally sure what the age gap is between the two, but it wouldn't have to have changed anything in the books or changed any of their dynamic because Ron and Hermione still would have been close because then Hermione would have been family because she was dating his sister. Like, it would have been so amazing if J.K. Rowling had done that. So amazing! It would have been like, pow, ba-bam, shebang, oh yes. But it wasn't. And she didn't. And she won't. So, and she can't because it's been written. But it feels like you're, you're missing this huge opportunity. So, so okay, I, I tend to go on these little tangents. So, like, if, you, if we were going to really back in. So I have this slide of these two princes kissing. And the kids get it. The kids are totally fine with it. And I show it to the parents and I tell them, okay, this is not implied. This is not ba common knowledge. This is not something your child knows. This is something that you need to say to your child directly. So you're going to say to your child, I don't care if you're um, driving and eating ice cream or whatever you guys are doing, but you, you're going to say this to your child. You're going to say, so honey, you know what? 
if you are interested in, a, in, a, in another person, I don't care if that person has a vulva or a penis. I don't care if they have long hair or short, short hair. I only want that you, that you can treat them res, with respect and they can treat you with respect in return. And that you are happy and the person you're with is happy. I just want happiness and respect for you and gender or identity I, orientation. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. And parents are often like, they're a bit sometimes taken aback by this, but I'm like, dude, you need to say this, you need to say it directly, and even if you don't believe those words, you need to say them, and then you need to go see a psychologist or a shrink to deal with your shit. You need to deal with your grown-ass adult homophobia because that's not something you're going to put on your child. You are going to let your child live in a free environment where they know they are loved and supported and you're going to deal with your shit because you know what? You're an adult and you know what? You're a parent and that's your job is to take care of the child and the teenager and make sure that they become into this wonderful, amazing human being because they were supported, okay? So deal with your shit. It's not on your kid. Because we know that kids realize their orientation. They realize if they're gay or bisexual or straight or even asexual around 11, 11 years old. That's so, so young. And they realize their orientation. But you know when they come out to parents, and mind you, this is Icelandic data, they don't come onto the parents until they're 18, come out of the closet, declare their orientation. That is seven years of depression, anxiety, and all this, these negative thoughts and being fearful that you're going to be rejected. Well, you know what? We need to take that away. So we as adults and as parents and as caregivers, we need to be able to say, okay, you know what? I'm here for you. I love you and love you unconditionally. That's what that means as well. It means I want happiness for you. I want respect. I want you to respect yourself, to respect others. I want you to have a happy life. And with that comes being happy with who you are and being able to find happiness with other people. That's all we're asking. And the kids, they get it. It's so basic to them. Like when you're saying, because they sometimes say, you know, oh, that's so gay. And I'm like, okay, guys. So here's the deal. You go into this pizzeria and you get a menu. Do you think that the waiter is going to be like, okay, can I please have your sexual orientation? Because we have a special menu for gays. And they're like, what? That would be absurd. I'm like, yeah, when you go into a clothes shop and you're about to buy some clothes, there's not a special department for gay people. It's not like, oh, yes, well, the blue T-shirts and the red pants, those are for the gays. You know, there's no set of separate rules for people dependent on their orientation. There's no special way to talk to people dependent on orientation. People are different. People are into different things and people need to realize that we are people first. Orientation is about who you love, not how you love. It's who you love. So we need to make this more about the love and about that people are people or people are different. And that's what makes us beautiful and unique and amazing that we're so different. I love that about us. I love that people think differently than me. I'm like amazed by what goes on in people's minds. I'm like, what, how did you derive at that conclusion? It baffles me. But that, that's what makes it fascinating and interesting. And, you know, that's why mankind likes to listen to other people's stories. Because we're like, wow, this happened to you. And then that happened to you. And that's what you thought. And blah, 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 blah. It's interesting. So that's what I want. 
And that's what we discussed in this parent lecture. And usually I have more mothers than fathers. Um, but, you know, it, they're, they're slowly but surely coming around. The dads are turning up as well. But we know also that um, daughters get more um, sex ed at home than boys do. And we know that the mother often bears the grunt of the sex ed. So she is the one who delivers the sex ed while the dad seems to just do 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 you know, do whatever the fuck he's doing. I don't know what it is. But at least he's not, it, it seems so, you know, according to data that he's not talking to the kids. But of course, this is important. Dads need to talk as well. And I think we're going to turn it around. I think we are helping men talk. I, at least I hope so. I mean, we have to. This can't not go on. When I was in the Seymour Klubber that I talked about in the last episode, not, you know, not that you have to listen to that episode, I'm just saying. Um, I went to that Seymour Klubber and actually we talked a lot about open relationships, which is I find fascinating as well. And we talked about cheating and we talked about men. We talked about men and the their expectations of themselves, their expectations of their friends and their um, networking and how I think they need to change and they need to like have a better brotherhood where they are able to support and discuss one and discuss these I don't know people calling them sensitive topics I guess they are sensitive topics at least to a lot of people oh, I'm driving over this gorgeous little um little river that has this gorgeous little um what was that like a, a little um bridge mm-hmm. okay very cute the sun is setting and it's not even six o'clock the sun is setting and it's almost it's going to be dark when i get home yeah so what, what was i saying yeah so they, we were talking about open relationships and these ladies really wanted to talk about because they were like intellectually these these were ladies in the 30s they were like intellectually we get it it makes so much sense but they're like in practicality how would it work we're such a teeny tiny island. I have to remind you that Iceland inhabitants were like 330,000. That's not like million, it's like 330,000. It's like smaller than your small town or something. And that's spread across the entirety of Iceland. So they're saying like, how would an open relationship work if you're always bumping into that person? And then we got to talking about that and that actually every community that you're in usually has like a microcosm. Um, You're not usually going to a cafe all the way over the other side of town. You usually stick to your local cafes and your local places and your local bars. So everywhere you go, even though it is a big city, yes, there are more people and more places to hide, obviously, and more places for anonymity, but you still tend to hang out your local hangouts because you want to, you know, you want to do the cheers where everybody knows your name and stuff. But we're saying also because this isn't secrecy and it just, it all revolves around dialogue, communication, and setting boundaries and rules, and keeping the flow of communication open, and reviewing those rules and boundaries, and seeing what works for you and what doesn't. And I think each couple is unique. But I also think that when we're talking about this, I think certain resources, oops, sorry, certain, we have to be aware, aware of certain resources, such as time and even money and even emotions so we have to i don't know if emotions are resource well anyway time and money are um so we have to realize that if 
you're strapped for time, then it might be like in your in your relationship, you're strapped for time, and then you want to have an open relationship, and you maybe you're a parent, and you're not, you don't even have enough time for your family. Then it might seem quite selfish or strange that you're going to pursue this encounter with another person, or if your rules are just that you're allowed to have this casual sexual encounter and not a relationship with another person or if it needs to be a relationship and not a casual encounter you know there are all these different rules and guidelines that people have to decide what works for them but when we were talking about this because people often say that uh, an affair would be devastating for the relationship and the worst thing that would happen to them in their life my students in the university of Reykjavik in Reykjavik University, they have said this. It would, if they were cheated on, it would be the worst thing to happen to them in their life. And I think we really need to redefine that. We really need to think about that, what we're saying, because it's so shameful and it's so final and it doesn't help anybody because we know that people are people and this is... Uh-oh, stuck. And this is what often happens in relationships be it you know purpose or not but it's something that can be worked through if people want to work through it but it's complex it's multi-layered and when we have this attitude that it's like a make it or break it I don't think it's helping anybody because you know bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people and the world is not black or white it's gray or you know whatever 50 shades or something so we talked a lot about that, which was quite interesting and quite fun. I love having this Seymour Klubber and being able to really go deep on topics and just sitting there answering their questions and ponderings and having them like discuss amongst themselves. It's really fun. Fun for me, at least, and I hope it was fun for them. Um, I was going to tell you about Yao. Ooh, and I beat Facebook. Ha ha. Yep. Let me explain to you. So, um, there I I have back in back in October October was yeah. back in October I had a lecture I did a lecture in Finland in um, Turku about nudity, mm-hmm. and this lecture is online actually on my Facebook page. You can um, see it there. I think it's there somewhere. Yeah, it's at least it was online. You can see it on my Facebook page um, about nudity and where we are going as a society about nudity and again i don't like to use the word prudes but we are becoming very conservative and where are those winds blowing from so it's kind of dissecting the whole thing what nudity means and unpacking it and and you know what is modesty and all that thing and uh and the norwegian um cupido cupido which is like a Norwegian, should we say, sex-positive site, which has all these articles, but it's also a store and stuff. So they did an interview with me, as well as in the Finnish media. And that actually was a huge um, interview and had a lo- had lots of comments, was the most read in article, and people had really strong opinions and views of this, okay? And so, um, yeah, so in the, Nor- the Norwegian one, um, they were talking about... We're talking about the nudity thing there. And the, the, the picture that was with the Norwegian article was of female breasts and men breasts. So, okay, you could obviously see they were, you know, very round breasts, little perky nipples. And then um, a more flat-chested, chiseled man boobs, if you will. And 
um, so that was the accompanying photo. And I, I mean, I didn't even think about it when I shared it on Facebook. I was like, just put it on my Facebook page, and I'm like, hey, here I am in Norwegian talking about nudity again, blah, blah, blah. And like, as soon as I put it up, I got a notification. I'm like, within minutes. Like, probably within a minute, I got a notification from Facebook, but like, um, you have been put on a 24-hour ban, and we will not, you know, we were removing your post. And then they were, they had these little, it was like a standard thing, they had these, uh, why it was probably taken down, and one of his, one of one of it was um, contains female nipples not related to breastfeeding or birthing, um, has sexual, sexually explicit language or sexually sexual content or something like that. Um, but then I was allowed to like appeal. They were like, okay, check here if you um, if you concur or if you agree with this. I don't know, this conclusion, or check here if you want us to take another look at it. And I was like, huh, I was going to do, like, fine, yeah, those are female nipples. It obviously violates your um, standard of efficacy or whatever. So, but I did choose, okay, I want I want this revised. I'm going to see what happens. So I chose that, and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. A few hours later, later they did revise it I was not on a 24-hour ban and they allowed the post and they said they were sorry I'm telling you so you know things can be won victories even though they're small can be had so now on my page you can see the titties side by side round titties and chisel titties and I was like woohoo small victory for me but what's interesting as well is that there's this um, huge big thing in the media now with the national bank here that had these um these uh, paintings of so it's paintings in the national bank which has these has these paintings of a woman who is bare chested um and somebody said it was immodest and wanted it removed. But what was left out of the story and what is often not discussed, or is now more discussed because that's actually the context of the story, is that the person felt it was very inappropriate. The painting was very inappropriate because of the surrounding paintings, which were of men fully clothed, fully suited, like old men who used to work in the National Bank. And then you had this artwork of this woman who was nude and like surrounded by all these men in suits. And I can totally understand context-wise that that would be upsetting and that would be triggering. And that would be like, are you serious? Is this all that we are? Like, do we ever get to be clothed? And what's with all these men? It felt, it felt kind of pervy. But, I mean, they didn't have to remove the painting and lock it up. They could have obviously had more paintings or had also nude paintings of men or just remove those old guys in suits that were just, like, former employees. Like, why do we need to remember them? Like, who cares? But it was so interesting. So this is, like, a huge big thing now that they've been talking about modesty and talking about nudity and where we're going. Because I, I, And I've talked about this. I talked about this before I had the nudity... Um, a discussion uh, in Turku and I think I recorded I was probably talking about when I was in the sauna yeah I recorded in a sauna and my my phone died because I totally fried it uh, because the sauna was very hot and I didn't think about that when I started recording in the sauna but it's also you know because if you're of Nordic heritage if you live in the Nordic countries you have to remember that 
we are quite open in regards to nudity. Or oh, we used to be before social media. Nudity used to be not a big deal. And we had, you know, we had Pippi Longstocking and we have Emily Kattolt. I don't remember what the proper name is in Swedish. And we have Ronja. Yeah, I'm guessing for all you other people outside of the Nordic countries, you probably don't have Emil or Ronja, which is sad for you because they're amazing stories. Ronja is the robber's daughter, and Emil, um, Emil is this little rascal who's always—he's like, oh, he's just a little rascal. He's like, he's like the equivalent to Dennis the Menace. But in those, and these are television programs which have aged phenomenally well I mean I remember seeing them when I was a kid they were probably recorded in the 80s and I mean I've shown them to my kids and they're like this is something that we love um, and you have nudity there you have like with Ronya you have 20 naked robbers run into the snow all on their bums and you can see their penis dangling about it's not like a close up of the penis or anything but it's just like human body running out into the snow and cooling down and it's totally normal same with Emil he goes um, swimming with his um, his friend who's an adult and works for them and they're just nude and they just take their clothes off and jump in the lake and then they're just laying there sunbathing and you can see Emil being naked and stuff but it's nothing obscene and it's just it's so natural and it has you know the nudity there makes sense it has a purpose because you know they're doing something that relates to nudity it's not nudity for nudity's sake but and we i don't know it feels like we're losing some of it it feels like we're losing we're losing the the freedom yeah we're losing freedom a little bit freedom to be and freedom to be in the body and and now with um you know it feels like we're addicted dictating more what bodies should be like and what bodies should feel like and I, I hate the whole your body is a temple and I've probably spoken about this before it really upsets me my body is not a fucking temple you know it's so strange how you drag religion into this which may not even be your religion you know so people have all these different um experiences of their body and with their body and of others with their body and so I think you know and, and when people say love your body I'm not sure if I, I'm not sure if that's like a goal that may be unattainable for some people or too far away too far stretched I think you have to be I think you have to make peace with your body I think you have to acknowledge it I think you should respect it but I don't know if the word love is one of the words that's necessary that you have to love your body it's good if you can but i think you can live a fine life without really loving it but people like heavily disagree with me on this one and um and also their definition of what shows love to the body and what doesn't mind you it was so funny i was sitting in the um the school cafeteria with the teachers in the teachers lounge having coffee as i often do and this lady started chatting to chatting with me about her food allergies and re went really in depth about her food allergies and what food contains what and just could not stop talking about it and i was like wow okay if you put as much effort into masturbating as you did as you would talking as you did do talking about all these allergies imagine what that would look like I don't know if I offended her, but it was like a, it's a little bit of sound of silence by the table. And they were like, um, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Awkward. And then like, anyway, continuing on about the food allergies. But I find it so interesting that you can talk about um, your allergies. You can talk about 
exercising, you can talk about your dog, your cat. There are all these things that can be immensely boring to a lot of people, but you get a lot of freedom to talk about it. Like people who just discovered CrossFit, you know, don't get me started. But as soon as it's sex, it's like, that's moral. Don't talk about it. That's awkward. That's private. Don't talk about it. So to me, that's quite interesting. And I know there's a time and place for every discussion. And I know that there's a certain way that you can talk about things. But it's still, if I find it so interesting that you can talk about the body in so many ways, shape or form. But when it comes to sex, and even if it were just self-pleasuring, that's like, graphic or obscene or too much or indecent or you know all these different kinds of words it just i mean it's food for thought i'm not saying you have to change it but it's food for thought if we put the same amount of effort into our um, sex life as we do it this concludes this week's episode of Sex in Iceland. You can find us wherever you want to listen to your podcast and on social media. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and on S-I-G-G-A-D-O-G-G dot com. That's sickaduck.com. See you guys later.